You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. Hi, this is Bob McLeod, and you're listening to the Epic Marvel Podcast. Welcome back to the Epic Marvel Podcast. This is Venom, Episode 4, The Enemy Within. And this is covering a period of just three months in 1994. Of course, this is a mini-series, which is part of a larger Venom ongoing series. And this particular story is written by Bruce Jones, with artwork by Bob McLeod. And here to talk about this story with me today is Hemi Jacob. How are you doing today? Hi. I'm doing great. So tell me a little bit about your history with Venom. Do you like this character? So I remember growing up in the 90s and reading almost, I remember reading most of the Venom stuff. I think my first vivid memory of comic, of getting a comic book is the, I think it's the Amazing Spider-Man 375, where it's, uh, where it's like one of those covers that has one cover on one side and one cover on the other side. Oh yeah, the and flip it, book. And yeah, and it's got, I think it has the, on one side is Venom and I believe it's Peter Parker, but I'm not sure because it's the Clone Saga, so it could be Ben Riley. Um, but they're going at it on one side, and I just remember the gold foil cover and how amazing it was, and I needed to get it, and oh, what down the rabbit hole I went. <laughs> yeah. Do you have uh, these trades, the Venom trades, or how did you read this book? The, the so story? I actually I looked at it, and I, I figured, oh, I should just get the whole Venom thing to give me an idea. So I went out and bought the Marvel Venom bus. Oh. It's the Venom Omnibus. Yes. Um, and, it, I mean, it's got all of the miniseries starting from Lethal Protector 1 through the Carnage Unleashed at the end. And and then when you asked me to do this uh, podcast, I went ahead and said, oh, well, this The Enemy Within is about a third or halfway through, so I should read the stuff beforehand. And once I got started, I just went all the way through and... This is a this is a wild ride of '90s Venom comics. <laughs> yeah, well, the whole omnibus just—it's Venom is the perfect example of how comics trends and and just how it evolved from the '80s to the '90s. It's just if you look at the late '80s and how Spider-Man worked and how comic books worked, and you have this creation of this character um, who's you know he's he's tough and he's a good villain and such, but then he evolves to being an anti-hero oh there's a big change in his not necessarily change but an evolution of his character from the beginning of the book to what he's doing throughout san francisco and then you can see i don't know if you got away all the way to the end of the omnibus but they're trying to bring him back to i guess what he was before all this uh anti-hero type stuff interesting um but you can definitely see that they're looking to cash in on venom because if i don't know if you I don't know if you actually looked at all the other series, but in this omnibus you get the Venom miniseries, and then you also get his appearances and other issues. And one of the things I noticed is that in every single miniseries, 
every Venom issue is two ninety five. And at the time when I looked at it, I was like, wait a second. Issues now are only three ninety nine, so I was wondering what was going on. And then I looked at some of the other ones, like they have Dark Hawk and Web of Spider Man, and they're all one ninety five or less. So they definitely bumped the price up simply because they knew Venom was going to sell. I mean, I'm sure they put on some kind of chromium or variant cover of some sort, but they knew it was going to (laughs) sell. Yeah, all of the issues had a really heavy cardstock cover, and they used the really nice paper. They didn't use the plain, uh, you know, newsprint. They actually printed it on glossy stock. And Mm -hmm. all of the number one issues, especially in these early miniseries, had really fancy covers. Including the um, the enemy within issue number one was a glow in the dark cover. Yeah, I wish I was trying to find something online that showed it, but like you just can't get that from the picture so much. The glow in the yeah. dark, so it's I don't just, have that issue. <laughs> I have it at home, and it's it's just fantastic. Yeah, it it it's just the white parts, the the eyes, the teeth, and the logo on his chest, and it just glows. Oh. I figured it was going to be that green saliva on his tongue was oh, going to glow no. as well. No, it's not that. It's just the eyes and the teeth and the and the just everything that's white that you can see on this cover. It's a great cover. Oh, I think it's really still neat. looks. It's a great cover because it blends in. It's beautiful. I mean, and they put the logo down the side, which is something you didn't see in comics at this point, because you could still find comics pretty regularly in like a 7-Eleven or something like that and only the top part of the the comic book would be poking out on the rack and that would have the title but putting the Mm -hmm. title down the side you couldn't see what you couldn't actively see what the title of this comic is called yeah I guess if you're looking at a spinner rack you would only really see that top left hand Venom the Enemy within part one and maybe the top of his eyes in Marvel you wouldn't necessarily see even the words Venom on it depending on how how many mm-hmm. other comic issues were in there? Now, I guess that's why it says Venom, the enemy within, in the top corner. That I didn't even notice that, but that's probably why. Because uh, the logo's not striking, but you have to have the, the title at the top there somehow. So you can see it on a spinner rack. Well, let's get into the issues here. Take us through issue number one. Um, so I... There's not that much that's going on. It's mostly just setting the stage for everything. Uh, you get like a short thing of Venom with some Halloween trick-or-treaters that are dressed up as random Marvel characters. Uh, but other than that, Venom finds out there are some little goblins terrorizing parts of San Francisco. And they seem to be able to give him some pain by emitting a sonic scream. And we also know there's going to be a person running for mayor at the same time. But don't worry, there's no connection between any of that. Oh, yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) And then you also get – the only other thing you really get in it is you get the two other main characters that will come into the series, this miniseries, is you get introduced to Morpheus – Morbius, not Morpheus, Morbius. Uh, He is in New York, I believe, just trying to stop some drug dealers, and he gets transported to – San Francisco, and you get Demogoblin, who's trying to break up some kind of occult communion of some sort, and he also gets transported. Mm-hmm. And that's how pretty much the episode, the issue ends, is Venom is dealing with these goblins and finds Morbius sitting in some kind of throne-like chair. Yeah, it's he gets, uh, I guess Morbius just appears in the chair. That's where he's been zapped to. Yeah, 
And it wasn't clear to me. It seemed like that the that Morbius was. I'm not sure if you're supposed to read this as Morbius was. There's some time elapsed between the two. He gets transported and then brought in. And there's no and just like instantaneous. He's like one moment he's in New York and then the next moment he's here and there's no time elapsed. And they just filled in some space in between with what was going on with Venom and Demogoblin. But it's comics. Yeah, I wasn't sure about the timing either because the exact same thing happens to Demogoblin in the next issue. But we see him disappear in this issue. Yeah, that's so. But again, it's. Uh, I wasn't sure if maybe he got transported somewhere else or maybe we're supposed to think that, oh, it happens later on. He gets them and he just gave us the, tra- the teleporting then. But yeah, I think it's pretty much a um, playing a little bit with the timeline. Um, but they they wanted to make sure they introduced all of the characters in the first issue. That's why we get both of those characters disappearing. And then, mm-hmm. of course, we want to leave off with a, a cliffhanger in this one. So we only get to meet Morbius. And yeah. Uh, and yeah, so that's that's that. This comic is pure '90s. Like these three characters here, Venom, Morbius, and Demogoblin, are like this is what the '90s is all about. It's oh, especially for yes. Marvel at the time. It's like there's a, a higher emphasis on the supernatural, and I think the Midnight Suns and Doctor Strange were kind of uh, in that world a lot. Uh, I think maybe even Morbius had his own series at the time. I can't remember. There I know was he a... had one later on. I'm not sure if he had one at this time, but all of it's these very likely. Did. Yeah, at um, one point or another in the 90s. Was Demogoblin? Now I didn't. Re- I don't remember reading uh, Maximum Carnage because I haven't read it since it came out, and I haven't gone in any a trade to read it, reread it again. Hasn't hit that part of my reading of my my to read list. But was Demogoblin also in Maximal Carnage? Yes, he was. He was on the oh. side of the bad with, uh, you know, Carnage and Shriek and all of them. Uh, and that story that... happened yeah. a few months before this story. Because mm-hmm. Morbius seems so Morbius and, and Venom seem to know each other. So I assumed it's just for Maximum Carnage storyline. And that's where they at least know who each other are throughout the series. <laughs> Oh. So what did you think of this issue, just to, to start things off, the, the ramp-up of the storyline? I mean, they're really setting – this is really just setting the stage for everything. One thing that stood out to me was there are a lot of teeth. They, whoever is drawing these – I mean, oh, Venom yeah. always has a lot of teeth. But, I mean, Morbius, just by the fact that he's a vampire, you're always seeing his teeth. And even the side characters, other characters – I mean, Demogoblin looks like he has – what must be 40 teeth in his mouth or 50 teeth in his mouth. <laughs> right. And then all of the goblins too. But every character you see their teeth and some of them are sharp, some of them aren't. Yeah. I mean, even when you see like the, the goblins, the little goblin guys pulling, pulling at people, they're pulling at their lips so you can see their teeth. It's just, and it's beautiful 90s artwork. I'm The storylines aren't always the best of the 90s, but the artwork is just so... 90s there's no other phrase <laughs> to say it yeah now it's and, interesting about the artwork because this is bob mcleod and i know him best as a co-creator of new mutants yeah and so i did an episode on on that first volume with his whole run and he's got a very different style back then that was oh. about 10 years ago uh, that he did that one c- compared to this book this yeah. and it's, his style changes quite a bit yeah i get i'm not sure if he went ahead and just you know 
moved his style somewhat with the times that this is what people wanted or it's that he just felt that he could do it with these colors and he, and it was a different tone of a book and he just decided he should put that there. And, I mean, he does pencils and inks, so it's not like it's it's not like one guy's doing it and one guy's inking differently. So, no, and he always liked to ink his own work, which he did for New Mutants as well, um, for the first little bit until he couldn't keep up. But uh, yeah, this one, he I think he changes his style a little bit for the tone because it definitely is a darker book. We get a lot of shadows. We get a lot of playing with light and 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 uh, kind of playing around with silhouettes. And that's something that you didn't see him do for New Mutants. So I think that he definitely does adapt to the story that is uh, presented to him. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I like the way he draws Venom. He there's a um, there's one page where he busts in on a um, on a couple who are being attacked by the goblins, <laughs> and he, he says, "How can I battle an enemy that melts into walls?" And he's got this like I don't know. The it looks tongue. like um. Like the the mouth is kind of coming out of the skin almost. Mm-hmm. It's it's a cool looking alien. He's like got no neck and stuff. <laughs> yeah. The the skin is the costume is kind of peeling back where the lips are to reveal more teeth and such. So, I mean, one of the interesting things is if you look at where you're, you the picture you're pointing at and you flip the page one page, Demogoblin has a very similar mouth tongue shape as Venom does. Oh, yeah. Right on the next page, just mirror image almost. Like even the teeth are down to that. So he's working with that and really focusing that that look is, and you see the difference in how they're dealing with things. <laughs> yeah, uh, but my favorite panel in this whole book, in the whole miniseries here, is when a couple pages later, when he's fighting all of the goblins underground, and he's just screaming, "Bite this!" <laughs> What a great yeah, image. Amazing. Uh, yet with the tongue and the saliva kind of flying and all of these goblins just attacking him around. I love it. I think it's great. Mm, oh, it it works out great. I like the how he definitely is showing the Venom suit as a, Venom, as a symbiote because if you look right a few panels over after that, you see them screaming at him and the, the suit is coming off and you can really, it's not just that it's, Oh, it's like some people draw and it looks just like, oh, he's just wearing a costume or they're just going to let it do whatever they want. Here it's really looking like a separate thing beyond his clothing and beyond anything yeah, else. That's right. Okay, well, I have one final note. The the, the, the next issue caption box at the very end mm-hmm. yeah. reminds me a lot of good old Stan Lee in the 60s because he inserted <laughs> a lot of this style of humor into the books that he was writing back in the 60s. You didn't see that as much in the 90s, but this one, next, arguably the greatest fight ever between two super (laughs) beings in an underground gallery surrounded by hooting goblins several miles below San Francisco during a quarantine and Demogoblin (laughs) too. Yeah. Yeah. Good, good humor. So I'm sure it, I'm sure he's right. It was the greatest fight ever, but also maybe the only fight ever. Yes. So (laughs) that's, and that's the joke that he's making here. It worked great. Okay, let's move on to issue number two. This one's called The King of the Goblins. And in this one, Venom and Morbius have a little tussle, but then they quickly realize that they need to team up because uh, they're on the same side and figure out where all of these goblins are coming from. I mean, it in some ways it sounds like they're 
they're doing the classic comic cliche of two heroes. I mean, even though they're not, neither one is really a true hero. They're both kind of anti-heroes, but they're both, they meet up. They both don't understand why they're there. So therefore they must fight with each other. Yep. Classic. Mm-hmm. And then they realize, yeah, then they, they must team up. <laughs> and yeah. so this trail, and when they do team up, it's actually a good team up. They, they work really well together of uh, yeah. doing, protecting each other, helping each other out and, um, and, and using each other's strengths. So I thought that was actually kind of nice. The whole part where they're floating underwater through the, through the sewer system, mm-hmm. you know, having to close those, those floodgates and all that kind of Flood stuff. Ga- I actually, I mean, the two of them together, I think is the, I, I don't know how you felt without all the other parts of this, uh, of the, all these miniseries, but I thought they worked better than any of the other team ups that Venom goes through in any of his miniseries. Oh, sure. They just yeah. they both understand each other. They both know they're not perfect, but they're both trying to do the right thing and they get it. And it's just a matter of, oh, I I, I might do something, but let's move forward and get on and we have to stop the greater evil here. And there's also this great sense of like a a rivalry between the two is a little bit of I can do this better kind of attitude. <laughs> so I like that aspect of it as well. It gives a good, a little bit of humor in there. Yeah. Um, so the big villain in this one, I mean, I guess if you kind of call him the villain, is the Demogoblin. Now, I very, very little. I know Morbius because I've seen him in other stuff, and he's come along since then. I don't know the last time I saw the Demogoblin in, uh, in something, and I don't know. Yeah. I... I I looked him up. I, I mean, I looked at him. I was like, he looks a lot like the Hobgoblin. Right. And that's pretty much where I, I figured he had to have some kind of demonic thing to him. But So, I, yeah, I'm not the, the expert on this character either. I do know that originally he was Jason Mackendale. Yeah. Who was, who was a Hobgoblin. Who was a Hobgoblin. Hobgoblin. And um, he made a deal with... I don't know if it was Mephisto or some sort of some other demon or whatever to give him this the the way he looks and his powers now, but that's kind of where he is at this point. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I don't even know if he's still alive or or what in the comics these days. Haven't seen him for a long time. Yeah, I haven't seen him in anything. So I mean, and just because some you haven't seen him doesn't mean he's gone. Because right, of course, again, <laughs> comics, and that's just you don't kill intellectual property if it if it can do something for you. Yeah, well, and you got to keep uh, keep them in use to keep the some sort of copyright or trademarks going or something. So he'll show up eventually. Exactly. So this issue, the there's, we find a lot about the backstory. So there are six pages devoted to a backstory uh, explaining where the goblins are coming from, mm-hmm. and I honestly felt like that was way too long. With this, and then in the next issue, there's more of the, the backstory. I mm-hmm. kind of feel like Bruce Jones had a different, like he had a he had this story that he wanted to tell, and then you there people were like, you know what, we want you to write a Venom miniseries, and so he's like, okay, mm-hmm. I'll use my story and shoehorn Venom into there. That does make a lot of sense. This yeah. this would be an excellent story, um, even without Venom or Morbius or Demogoblin. Like I think it would be be great to to explore that guy's psyche and and find out Mm -hmm. why he's doing what he's doing and it's rise to to power yeah 
And it honestly, if it was just his story, these six pages might have been stretched out to more than just Venom reading it in a diary that he found. Well, exactly, and, yeah. And give it a little more air to breathe. One of the things I found, though, was, I don't know about you, when I was reading this, when Venom starts reading that story, the, the journal, I was, until I flipped the page and I saw that, oh, he's the one that has the necklace, I wasn't expecting the guy running for mayor to be the one who this is talking about i didn't connect that from the first page and maybe yeah. i just missed it but no you're right i, like, oh. I didn't either and in fact when he revealed himself uh in that page with the necklace and he's like i am charles palantine i'm like what who the heck is that <laughs> i didn't <laughs> even remember that he had been mentioned in the other issue <laughs> his name palantine i I like Star Wars, and I just thought, oh, Palatine, Palpatine. Palpatine, yeah, stuff. right. <laughs> and he's trying to seize power in the same way. I mean, this predates the prequels, but it's like, oh, it's somebody who's trying to rise from nothing and take over. I was like, oh, this kind of yeah. rings a bell to me. I do have a question, though. Can someone with a criminal record run for office? I do not think that. I mean... I know that it depends on the kind of criminal record. I know in the U, in the, I don't know, you're in Canada, so maybe things are different there. I know in the U.S., if you have a criminal record, in certain, if you have a felony of some sort, you're not allowed to vote. So huh. I would assume that voting yeah. and running for office might have something to do with it. But maybe. then again, I'm sure there are towns and stuff like that where there have been people who have been convicted of of corruption and then – the same people who are convicted of corruption run on the next election and get elected again because people just don't care <laughs> that they're corrupt because they do whatever they do correctly for the people voting. So He was also tried as a juvenile, so maybe okay. those records are sealed or you don't get to know identities or it doesn't count when you're an adult. I don't know. I, don't, I have no I idea I mean, he how could also works. be hiding who he is and not necessarily letting people right. oh, know. Right. Oh, of course, because he did change his name. He's, yeah. He was Charlie Palin when he mm -hmm. went into jail, and then he's now Charles Palantine. Um, not much so of a stretch, but... <laughs> this is predates the internet and the ability to just search for everyone on social media and all the pictures that everyone can just run up against, but... Right. Eh, it's to move the story along that he does, that he's able to do this. Yeah. Okay, so the, my, my only thing here is I, I really like the story so far. I felt I really liked the backstory. I just felt it was too long for this one issue and that it felt out of place in the overall context of the story. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the funniest moments here is when uh, the, the city of San Francisco declares martial law because of all mm -hmm. the goblins. Everyone needs to stay indoors. And then Palantine gets on TV and says, this imposed martial law is un unconstitutional. And then people are like, I love this. The guy watching the TV with his beer in his hand, he's like, he's right. We got our right to leave this city anytime we want, <laughs> goblins or no goblins. <laughs> I was thinking about this page also because he's saying it's unconstitutional. Then literally the next panel, it's. He walks in and says, I'm the mayor now. The police decided I'm mayor and kicks the old mayor. I was like, huh. On one side, he's playing the constitutional business. On the other side, he just seizes power from everybody. <laughs> right. That's the end of it. He, there's no, the people are demanding it. He's like, I'm doing it too bad. Yeah. Yeah. It's There's a lot of this story that is just 
forced for the sake of the story, and that mm-hmm. right there is that's it right there. Mm-hmm. And again, I just love the the demogoblin artwork on these pages. It works. It just works for me. It the it's beautiful. Yeah. Well, let's go on to the last issue here. Mm-hmm. And just the summary the the next issue script on the on the end of oh, the yeah. second issue is Venom and Morbius versus a 50-foot-tall enraged Demogoblin, as well as the power of of Palin. Be here for the all-out action conclusion to the enemy within. It's a 50-foot Demogoblin. How could I, mean, I not buy the next issue based on that? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's, oh, I, it's nothing short of amazing. And it really doesn't let up. Once you get past those six pages in the second issue, it's really just pedal to the metal. You're just going. There's no, there's. I, I I don't think there's any more in the rest of the story of really slow down narrative being thrown in there. I guess there's a little bit of summary of what's going on, but it's really moving everything along to try and get to the conclusion. Yeah. Demogoblin, uh, he fights Morbius and Venom, and then they chase they chase him, and it's just. Until they get all the way to the, to they they're up above ground now, and they're still they're just chasing. It's chasing and chasing and chasing until we are. It's revealed to the two kind of heroes that the mayor is Pal- Palpatine or Palatine is the <laughs> one who's uh, who's the one controlling it, and they steal his necklace. And then all of a sudden the Demogoblin shows up and the goblins are no longer listening to him. They're, not, they're no longer listening to Palatine. They're now listening to Demogoblin and he's just growing and growing and it's just, oh, it's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> he's just taking everything in and, and then they just let him pretty much burn out, I think, right? <laughs> just burns out and that's the end of it. There's no real conclusion of how they stopped it. it just... Well, yeah, the, the ending is, uh, is very rushed. It turns out Demo Goblin leads all. He he plays Pied Piper for all the goblins, and takes mm-hmm. them over the bridge, and then casts them all into the bay, and they all drown. All the goblins drown, mm-hmm. and that's it. That's our conclusion. It's the second to last page. Then the last page, the necklace disappears. Demo Goblin uh, goes small and flies away, and and then they say goodbye. And it's like that. It's a it's a very 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 rushed ending like they didn't quite have enough pages to tell the story that they wanted to tell yeah i got that feeling too i and even though it feels rushed i i enjoyed this storyline i just felt like and some of these miniseries really are there's there's six issue miniseries there's three issue miniseries there's four issue miniseries and this one really felt like it needed a little bit more space a little bit more time to tell what it was trying to tell and just didn't get that yeah i think it would have been better if we had not learned that palantine was the one behind all of this um until much later mm-hmm. because they ruined the surprise really er- early on in the story there was no there's no reason for me to except for a 50 foot tall demogoblin there's no reason for me to to stay interested really um because mm-hmm. the mystery was gone yeah there isn't really a mystery it's it's really just action, action, action. It's yeah. what's going to happen next, and then that thing rolls into something else. So this issue has a, an actual a different inker. It's inked by yes. Candelario. 
Yeah, I didn't know who that was. I don't know who that is I either. I saw that also. I'm, I'm not sure why it was put on somebody else, but I well, noticed that everybody else is the same except for him. On exactly. His. I'm assuming, and if you listen to my interview with Bob McLeod, uh, he says himself that he's not the fastest guy. So if he, and, but he loves inking his own work. So I'm just going to assume that he ran out of time. And if you look at this third issue compared to the other two, it's it's really rushed. There are <laughs> most of the panels have no backgrounds, or the backgrounds are very very minimal. But if you flip and very back, faded. Yeah, stuff. yeah. If you look, if, but if you flip back to the first issue. And like all of the underground stuff in the caverns, like the, there are backgrounds in every single one of these panels, um, or yeah, at least uh, at now, some it's... sort of shading or 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 line drawing to indicate clouds or mood. Something's mm-hmm. there. Yeah. But this third issue is I... definitely lacking. Yes, I definitely see that. You get also much bigger panels. I find in this issue, of right. like to take up space almost to. Even yeah. though you're still telling the same stories, but you're getting these bigger panels that just push the thing forward faster. Yeah, it's true. They they are much bigger, and I would have. I think that if they had gone for some smaller panels, they could have stretched out this this ending so mm-hmm. that it would have um, uh, you know flowed a little bit better toward the end. But if at this point either you like Venom and you're going to keep reading. Or you're not. I do enjoy the fact that every three or every miniseries has its own creative team almost. And I felt this creative team did pretty well in telling the story they're trying to tell. But you're probably right about Bruce Jones having this story as kind of in his back pocket and wanted to write it for something. And they offered him the Venom story and he went ahead and, okay, I'll shoehorn it in. And You know how I know that this is not an actual, like this was probably a back pocket story? If you take Venom out of the story, everything still progresses exactly the same way. Yeah. He's there. He's there. Kind of living it as opposed to being the anchor of the story. In fact, Morbius, if you take out Morbius, he also doesn't play a role either. Because they, Mm -hmm. the only thing that they do is discover that book and tell us the backstory. And -hmm. then they break into the mayor's office. But if they hadn't broken into the mayor's office... Demogoblin would have still done that and still would have taken the, the necklace and still would have grown 50 feet and still would have taken care of all of the goblins and the problem would still be over. Taking out those two main those two main protagonists, the story basically happened the exact same way. Exactly the same way. Including There's nothing, the ending. Nothing different. <laughs> so, yeah. It's, uh, yeah, I think that Bruce Jones had a good story and had to mm-hmm. shove it in here. Yeah. And I enjoy it. I enjoyed it. Uh, yeah. Don't get me wrong. Anything that I'm, you know, if I come off negative on the story, it's I really still enjoyed it. It's not sure. the greatest comic series short story ever written, but it's definitely not the worst. And it's not even the worst in this book. I think it definitely is <laughs> on the higher end of this big tome of a book. I if I was going to go back and pick which stories I wanted to read over again. This would definitely be on the definitely on the better half of it, and I would definitely yeah. think about it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think that there's there's a lot to pick apart with this one. It has some great concepts. Maybe the execution at the end wasn't that great, um, but it's still interesting. I, I I enjoyed it. It kept my interest. I like Morbius, so I can't really right. 
I like him when he shows up. I enjoy just the idea of a living vampire. It, the oxymoron of that is just, it, it always makes me giggle a little bit. <laughs> yeah. And I think if you are a fan of the 90s, if you understand how those comics were written and drawn in that in this era, then you'll enjoy this one too. Yeah. So I read this book in trade form. I have the trade called The Enemy Within, which combines uh, the funeral pyre and the madness uh, miniseries okay. all into one book. And also included in this book is The Incredible Hulk and Venom number one, uh, one shot. <laughs> but uh, I decided... Not, I'm not going to focus on that issue in any of these Venom episodes that I'm doing because that that issue is also collected in one of the Incredible Hulk epic collections. Oh, so okay, when I get good. to doing those episodes, I will cover that issue there. Okay. So I, those are some good – that's a good group of them. I actually think the Madness story was my favorite in the whole omnibus. That, mm, yeah, that I was a good one. I just thought it was – I thought that was great. I, and then this followed that up and in the order and it just, it built on that and it continued. And then you had the incredible Hulk story, just bam, bam, bam. I thought all three were great stuff. And these were kind of the, the high points of the whole series mm-hmm. and the whole series of these mini series for me. Awesome. Well, you know what? This was a, this was a good talk. A lot of fun. I, uh, I think that diving into nineties venom is always, you know, people, people don't know, what to expect or you know you you have preconceived notions of what it's going to be like but this one turned out well yeah i mean people have this idea that the 90s stuff is all terrible and there's a lot of terrible stuff but again it's there's a lot of really fun great stories in here yeah and there was a lot of terrible stuff in the 60s and in the (laughs) 70s and the 80s it's just you know you got to find the gems kind of yeah, that stuff falls by the wayside, and nobody gets that reprinted, and no one reads it again. And then the only stuff they're reading from that period is the is the best, the gems. And everybody yeah. says, "Oh, the '60s was fantastic. Everything in the yeah. '60s was great." But no, what about mm-hmm. that Human Torch uh, solo series in Strange Tales? You don't remember that one, do you? <laughs> no, no, no one, no one remembers that one. Also, people just look at Marvel and saw that they, when Stan Lee was writing so many books, he just and everybody, it was the golden age of marvel in a way yeah so it just every it seems like everything was doing great but they had some uh, stuff that was not so not so great back then and i i mean i know you did the thor epic collection the first volume and oh that one i felt was brutal yeah but, it starts off pretty rough but uh <laughs> you have to have to take the good with the bad i think that and that's exactly. what i love about the epic collections is that we're not getting just the highlights we're getting Mm-hmm. everything good and bad and we get to sort out yeah. for ourselves what we like and i think that's fantastic mm-hmm. I, I have to do, i have i agree i i love the epic collections and i love the, i love this podcast because i get to listen to all of them and look at them and go through the epics as i go through and listen to your reviews and your guests and it's a lot of fun yeah, and and thank you for sending all of your emails and comments um, over. I mean, if you listen to any of the episodes, you usually have a a comment that I read in there. As long as I have read the book, I don't right. want to comment on things that I don't yeah, know right. or any, have any idea on. But, but I try and comment on things that I do. <laughs> and I'm happy that you are actually now on the show and get to be part of it. So awesome! All right, and thank you for having me. This was a lot of fun and. I'm hoping I get. I hope I'll be able to find some time to come back again soon. Definitely, we'll definitely have to get you back on the show in the future. <laughs> <laughs>